Section 9 of Oscar Wilde from Purgatory by Hester Travers Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 To the Public It is time that I drop the role of lecturer on psychic phenomena and put myself into the position of those to whom the terms automatic writing, Ouija board, subconscious and cryptesthesia mean little or nothing, but in whom the fact that we seem to be talking again to so prominent a figure as Oscar Wilde is an adventure which arouses surprise and interest. When portions of these scripts appeared in the Daily News, the Occult Review, etc., I was infinitely amused at the diversity of criticism which they brought forth. Our first critic, Mr. John Drinkwater, who was interviewed by the Weekly Dispatch, frankly confessed that he was entirely out of touch with the psychic side of the matter, but from the literary standpoint he did not consider the style convincing. He cited various expressions which were not like Wilde, notably the cruel manner in which he describes the modern woman as a wart on the nose of an inebriate, and dismisses the writings of the Sitwells by stating that he does not spend his Precious hours in catching tadpoles. These expressions, Mr. Drinkwater says, are crude. He cites Wilde's horror of anything unpleasant, the horror with which he was inspired by seeing a man with toothache, for instance. He suggests that the real Oscar would be incapable of speaking of anything as painful as a wart. I admit that this case is so surprising that if one is suddenly interviewed, it is probably very difficult to criticise the writings of a discarnate spirit who is speaking from the twilight. My reply is that Wilde's feeling for what is ugly and painful altered after his prison experience. He probably had not prepared these discourses, and, even in his best period, It is possible that a crude expression may have escaped him now and then, especially in conversation. For instance, being tapped on the shoulder by an acquaintance with the remark, Wild, you are getting fatter and fatter. His retort was, Yes, and you are getting ruder and ruder. Would Mr. Drinkwater consider that a very subtle reply? Other critics have expressed the opinion that Wilde has not improved in the process of dying, as he says of his mother, Lady Wilde. His wit is tarnished since he passed over. Do we then expect our shades to smarten up in the beyond? The pathetic part of it is that poor Oscar agrees with these critics. He moans over his mouldy state and cites Hamlet's remarks to his father when he calls him Old Mole as a case in which the Society for Psychical Research should take an interest. In one rather long article, we are accused of raising a dreary shade. Now, why are we expected to provide a jovial ghost when we consider poor Oscar Wilde's career? It is suggested that we should let the dead rest, that having been exhumed was bad enough for the poor poet, and that I add insult to injury by hauling him back from Hades. The fact, however, is that poor Oscar forced his company on Mr. V and myself. 
he seized the pencil from another communicator and has held on firmly to it ever since he has insisted on speaking to the world again it seems to afford him a little relaxation why should i refuse it if it relieves him to let fly his bitter shafts of wit once more i feel in mere courtesy i must permit him to relieve his mind that first little essay written probably to convince his mediums is almost the only case in which wilde has indulged in what are practically quotations from his works if he has failed to select his words as happily as he used we must allow for distinctly trying circumstances he pushes in on our sitting i am taken by surprise and i continually interrupt his flow of language with annoying questions he even complains of finding unsuitable words in his medium's mind the only simile he can seize on to describe the moon is a great golden cheese he can't bear this and writes stop 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 you write like a successful grocer etc the next time we sat wilde was determined to let fly at something he dropped his pathetic tone and used the society for psychical research as a means of expressing his indignation at my having questioned his identity really this script cannot be described as the work of a dreary ghost are there many persons in the literary world to-day who could improve on the discarnate wilde's wit when he speaks of the society of superannuated shades then quite uninvited he begins to criticise modern authors he prefaces his first criticism by another appeal to our pity there is real pathos in his description of the chances that offered themselves to him from time to time to see the world again it is a fantastic idea and quite characteristic of its supposed author i think he says in this way i have dipped into the works of some of your modern novelists these criticisms are all written it must be remembered from the standpoint of thirty-five years ago for though wilde may have tasted modern literature he can hardly be expected to have moved with the times this age of rasp is a positive pain to the apostle of beauty he is glad to have escaped it in your time the main endeavour of the so-called artist is to torture the senses pain is the only quality which is essential to any literary work of the present day it is from that angle he speaks of wells bennett philpotts and joyce his other criticisms are levelled at shaw hardy meredith george moore and goldsworthy the latter is the only author who escapes lightly all the others even those who are practically his contemporaries come in for a share of pepper from wilde's caustic tongue the note of a colossal egotism is prominent in all these scripts it never varies when he speaks of his prism life it is positively shameless i was a fallen god a fallen king etc he views his brothers in literature with a certain jealousy i fear his fall and the bitter and cruel misery of his last years appear to have sent him on to further miseries 
His literary career stopped dead three years before he died himself. It was short, and fame has come to him, as to many others, after he passed into twilight. He speaks of having conquered London, partly by his supposed crime. Wilde was not a great writer, and his work might possibly have attracted less attention if he had gone down to posterity as a fashionable poser. It is true that his life in prison brought out a side of him which otherwise would probably never have seen the light. In fact, the discipline of jail held down his baser nature for a time and gave us De Profundis afterwards and the Ballad of Reading Jail. I feel it is quite natural that Wilde should be revolted by a work like Ulysses. It is entirely out of harmony with his time and ideas. He might easily fail to see what the admirers of Joyce call the vastness of the book. It is completely ugly. That is enough. His horror of probing into the inside of a human being would naturally be aroused by a book which, I believe, practically deals with nothing else. I am not altogether surprised that Goldsworthy appeals to Wilde. There is little real kinship between these two, but it is true that Goldsworthy, in a different sense from Wilde, deals with the surface of social life, that his feeling for form is fine, and that his sense of selection is often exquisite. Goldsworthy, however, uses the surface of society as a medium through which he expresses intense emotions, emotions which sometimes tend to become sentimental. Wilde never rouses our emotions. He certainly cannot be accused of being a sentimental writer. He never gets the full value out of a moving situation. He is too deeply interested in the human pattern, as he calls it, to worry about such futilities as joys and sorrows. The jibes thrown at George Meredith were surely flung off in an airy fashion. Oscar Wilde was in reality a great admirer of Meredith, and if he cracks a joke at his involved sentences, he has the later works in mind, which perhaps deserve chastisement. No one can deny that in One of Our Conquerors, words are inclined to occupy the reader so fully that ideas do perhaps retreat into the distance, the effort to unwind the plat certainly requires strenuous effort. In his criticism of George Moore, Wilde dwells on the even flow of his prose, suggesting that Moore holds his readers rather through style than through the clear-cut personality of his characters. It is true that Wilde and Moore are opposites, both perhaps more fully occupied in using the English language than in introducing us to a fresh series of acquaintances. Wilde must, of necessity, feel more dim. Their mediums of expression are far apart. The pastel artist produces his effects less emphatically than the painter who uses colour boldly. In several of the Ouija scripts, Wilde speaks to us about his own playmaking. He dwells on the idea of pattern, a pattern woven not from words, as in his poems, but from humanity as it presented itself on the surface of London society. It seemed to me we used to get more from each other by accepting the outside 
than by probing the intestines. It is interesting to compare this determination to remain on the surface of things with his change of thought in De Profundis. The external things of life seem to me now of no importance at all. Nothing seems to me of the smallest value except what one gets out of oneself. In speaking of his own plays in the script, he says again, I had a different thought from my fellows when my plays were shaped, and consequently I cannot absorb their attitude to the stage. And further, I have never swerved from my ideas. I have served the theatre in my own way, and from my own standpoint I succeeded. We pass on to Wilde's memories of his sufferings in prison. I rather hesitated to ask him about that time, but to my surprise he seemed eager and willing to talk of it. In reading this script, it must be borne in mind that I had not read De Profundis for over twenty years. Wild as he was when he left prison, was not the Wild who played with the surface of society, the flaneur, as he calls himself. He had learned the value of humility and love, and was, as he says, a richer man after he had come to realise the sacredness of sorrow. His life, after he left jail, was more tragic, perhaps, than while he was there. His present condition seems a continued tragedy. It is painful to feel that after twenty-three years he is still without the beauty and sunlight for which he thirsts. Yet he has the certainty, which few of us have here, that his state is temporary, that he will achieve again all and more than he possessed in his earth life. In criticising these writings, it must be remembered that between the wild of the 90s and the wild of 1923, two great gulfs are fixed. The gulf of his imprisonment and the gulf of his death. It cannot reasonably be expected that he is unchanged since he wrote Intentions and The Importance of Being Earnest. In his letter to Robert Ross with instructions regarding the publication of De Profundis, Wilde says, Of course I need not remind you how fluid a thing thought is with me, with us all, and of what an evanescent substance are our emotions made. Here again we find the idea of fluid mind, which came through at the sitting at Ange Régide's and again to me several times at the Ouija board, before I knew he had used the expression before. In the automatic writing which followed on the script about his prison life, Wilde begins with a quotation from De Profundis, Society sent me to prison. And again he quotes from it when he says, speaking of the bread he was forced to earn, like Dante, how salt the bread when I found it. This script is completely clear and logical from beginning to end. The astronomical knowledge displayed here is merely used as illustration and does not in any way detract from the characteristic turn of the sentence or the application of ideas, which are more in the style of De Profundis than his earlier works. Let us for a moment try to imagine the present position of Oscar Wilde, allowing it is he who writes these messages. He has suddenly found a means of speaking to the world again after twenty-three years' silence. 
his mediums are of course a matter of indifference to him he merely wants to make use of any possible instrument it would be futile to speculate as to how or why he discovered us the word lily is given wilde seizes the pencil the emblem of the aesthetic movement gives him his opportunity no the lily is mine not his he writes when i have identified him he quotes from de profundis twilight in my cell and twilight in my heart as he goes on he reminds us of intentions and de profundis in intentions we have the white feet of the muses brushed the dew from the anemones in the morning in our first script her white feet brush the dew from the cowslips in the morning in de profundis the passage occurs there is not a single colour hidden away in the chalice of a flower or the curve of a shell to which by some subtle sympathy with the very soul of things my nature does not answer in the automatic writing we find there was not a blood stripe on a tulip or a curve on a shell or a tone on the sea but had for me its meaning and its mystery and its appeal to the imagination if any of us had spent twenty-three years in a distant country and during that time had neither visited nor written to our own land we could scarcely be expected to preserve our memories of it intact nor could our friends expect us to return completely unchanged and as we were in our prime oscar says he is more alive than we are in spite of the fact that he is confined in a dim hades i disagree with one of our critics who says that the first script is the ghost of oscar's style as well as of his personality i quite understand the difficulty presented to the lay mind by phenomena professing to come from the dead to them the dead are dead in every sense there may be a vague religious faith in the hereafter deep in the subconscious mind but when it comes to accepting an actual personality which does not approach us with any of the orthodox ideas of the beyond it seems too preposterous and our criticism of evidence is very naturally highly prejudiced yet in all the notices of our script it is admitted that these communications are not of the order which is generally offered us from the other side no one can deny that this discarnate wild has preserved his sense of humour he regards his present state as in some ways inconvenient and amusing poor wild who loved his outward appearance to whom costume meant so much suffered intensely from the hideous garb he was forced to wear in jail he speaks of the grotesqueness of his garments more than once in de profundis especially on that most degrading occasion when for half an hour he stood on the platform at clapham junction in prison dress and handcuffed the target of a jeering crowd now he speaks with regret of that garment which we call a body it served whether foul or fair to fix certain reserves between us and our fellows he is bored by the continual sight of the ideas of other persons they grow stale and one tires of them he says i admit this is an appalling suggestion 
it would rob us of half the mystery and adventure of life if we could take the entire measure of every human being we met wilde's boredom continues apparently probably the only part of his life in which there was no boredom was his time in prison there his soul must have been so racked with surprise remorse despair and indignation so vitalised that he can hardly have felt ennui which always hung about him in his days of freedom if we are to take any of the information which reaches us from the beyond seriously what seems to delay progress here and there also is a clinging to material things worship of beauty in the sense that wilde worshipped it there the beauty which is given outwards from the spirit is of supreme value what is received through the senses seems actually to drive the spirit backwards the author of de profundis had he died in jail would perhaps have escaped the twilight in which he suffers now i should like to make it quite clear that the speed of both the writing and ouija communications was tremendous i already mentioned that in one instance seven hundred words were written in about an hour and a quarter this essay is a long and logical argument as regards the ouija board messages it was difficult to keep up with them even in shorthand the traveller flew from letter to letter with lightning speed at the rate of sixty to seventy words per minute if we regard the scripts as a case of subconscious imitation it is interesting to note that style and handwriting were sustained through hundreds of pages at this pace all things considered i feel we may discuss the authorship of these writings from any point of view without being considered absurd in most cases it is very difficult to present automatic script to the public but here when to the style and humour we add the handwriting there seems reasonable ground to admit the possibility that we are again in touch with oscar wilde we find traces of the author of de profundis and also of the importance of being earnest we find the egotism the cynical smile even the paradox in which he delighted i am sorry that the subjects spoken of are so scattered in the automatic writing wilde shows them himself at the first two sittings he seemed to exhaust the power in his mediums very rapidly there was a pause and when the pencil moved again an entirely different theme was chosen the later writings have been longer and more continuous in the ouija work i suggested subjects as a rule i asked a question and it was promptly followed up i value the opinions of those who are not conversant with psychic subjects also those of persons who like myself have studied mental mediumship both can help us from entirely different standpoints the literary critics must make allowance for the difficulties in automatic communication and also for the fact that oscar wilde has passed on to new conditions they must not demand exactly the mind they are familiar with from the psychic point of view these scripts must be of value whether they are considered to arise from the subconscious or to be a proof of survival their value from the literary point of view is quite another matter i sincerely hope that no prejudice against the method by which they came will injure their chances of having a fair hearing a literary ghost is i think 
a new departure in the psychic world. Messages from the dead are usually very vague as to work and interests on the other side. Oscar Wilde may be occupying his time with what is little better than picking oakum in jail, but his keen enjoyment of ideas seems the same as ever. He is certainly less changed by the process of dying than any other ghost I have come across so far. I have endeavoured to analyse these writings honestly. I am convinced that they are worthy of investigation. They are certainly so to those who are interested in proof or disproof of survival, and they may be useful also to the faithful, those who have accepted the gospel of annihilation. For them, Oscar Wilde's return can be regarded as a fresh proof of the credulity of even intelligent persons. The theosophist will fall in with us, I think, for here we have evidence of the punishment that awaits our astral part. The spiritualist will add a very important addition to what confirms his faith. He can hardly produce a more definite instance of continued personality than what is before us. I hope that Oscar, in his state of twilight, may be comforted if he realises that some of us are conscious he still exists. He may give us further evidence that he is still a living mind. If so, I shall publish a sequel to this book. He is still quite willing to talk and write. He has suggested that he is in a position to resume some of his literary work again, but knowing as I do the difficulties and uncertainty of automatism, I dare not promise anything definite. End of section 9